Amen. The amazing grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who gave his life that we may live. Amen. Good to see each one this morning. Uh, We're on our third uh, lesson of a series that we've entitled Seven Enemies of the Cross. This morning, the third enemy of the cross that I want to look at is what I call the misconception of corporate worship. Now, corporate worship, I believe, is one of those things that's not understood by many. And because it's not understood by many, I think that's why it's an enemy of the cross, as we'll see this morning. So, again, what I mean by seven enemies of the cross, these are seven things of this world that I believe is fighting against the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And as I've said, as the church of Jesus Christ, folks, we are in a spiritual battle, and we have an enemy that will do whatever he can do to silence the message of the cross and defeat the message of the cross. Now, here's one thing. Satan knows he cannot not defeat Jesus Christ himself, but he knows if he can defeat or if he can silence the message of Christ, that he can defeat the cause of Christ. And that's what he is trying to do in this world today. Now, this third enemy of the cross that we're going to look at today is the misconception some have about corporate worship. You know, if a new pastor, you know, really wants to stir up a hornet's nest in a church that he's just been called to, let him go in and try to change the manner of, quote, worship within the church. You know, let him go in and try to change things that we have been, quote, doing this way for years. Okay, you really want to mess up some things, go and do that, right, Brother Danny? Amen. You don't go in and stir up a hornet's nest when people have been doing things a certain way for a certain amount of years. We don't sing those songs like we believe. I mean, after all, you know, for years, our song around here has been, I shall not be moved. And let me tell you, if you try to move them, you are kicking a hornet's nest that is going to eat you alive. You know, this has been our popular song. In fact, this is the theme song, I Shall Not Be Moved. God help. You know, I don't believe, you know, another thing, I don't believe that I have to lift my hands to worship God. You know, God sees my heart, even if my arms are crossed and my bottom lip is all the way down to my chin. God knows the heart. Look, Satan has gotten the church so confused and fighting among themselves when it comes to this topic of worship, that he has been able to take the focus completely off the battle that we are in with him, uh, folks. You know, and, and as a result, this misconception of corporate worship has become an enemy of the cross, and as such, it is affecting the cause of Christ in this world of which we need him more now than ever. Now, this past Wednesday, and some of you probably seen it, those of you who are on Facebook, but this past Wednesday, a local pastor asked the question in, what's happening, Angelina County? How many of you follow what's happening in Angelina County? Quite a few of you. So you've probably seen this. You know, a local pastor wrote, uh, and his question was this, if you don't go to church, could you share why? Boy, now that's a question, isn't it? In fact, if you don't go to church, 
Would you say why? As of this morning, I checked it this morning, he had gotten 290 comments, which that is quite a few. Those of you who follow Facebook for a local thing, 290, not just likes or whatever, but 290 comments on that question. And the sad thing is, most were negative things concerning church members and how judgmental they are. Excuse me. And how judgmental they are. And it also dealt with the way that churches worship. Now, though some of the responses were just excuses people threw out there so they don't have to go to church. You know, if we don't want to go to church, we can find a good excuse, can we not? And some of those were just like that. In fact, we just got through singing Amazing Grace. One of the comments I've seen on there, I don't go to church because all they do is sing that Amazing Grace song. Some of you are shaking your head. You've probably seen that on there. You know, well, you know what? That's just an excuse for you to not go to church is all that is. If Amazing Grace, you know, offends you, you know, you, you probably need some of that Amazing Grace. But that's a subject all on its own. But, you know, I want to point out a th- I'm going to point out a couple of things on that uh, thing later on in this sermon. But let's take a look, first of all, at what corporate worship is not. Let's start there. Corporate worship is not simply going through a religious ritual. That is not corporate worship. Paul explained to, to Timothy in chapter 3 of his second letter, he said that in the last day, people would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power thereof. And he said to Timothy, from such people turn away. Now, Sunday after Sunday, I believe that our churches are full of people who meet together corporately. They go through the rich religious rituals. They get themselves into some emotional state of which they lose control of their emotions, and they think that they have worshiped God. Listen to me. Losing control of your emotions isn't worshiping God. Yet, that's what some think. And they leave there denying the power of God, You know, and their life has not been changed because they have not experienced God. Now, the second thing is, corporate worship is not going through the motions of an outline program that has a form of godliness. Now, listen to me closely here. One cannot take an outline uh, program, you know, that says to the people, one song, then announcements, two songs, and then an offering, One more song and then a special, followed by the sermon, and we will leave with the uh, two stanzas of Just As I Am. Now, though that may seem like a religious outline, folks, that is not worshiping God, just following this religious program. In fact, you're probably going to leave just the way you came because you went through that written program with that there was no presence of the power and the glory of God. So yes, just as I am would be a proper song to dismiss with because you're leaving just as you came. God help us. Look, there's nothing wrong with a written outline program. In fact, every one of you got one in your hand, do you not? Okay, you're holding them up. There's nothing wrong with a written outline program, Okay. Nothing wrong whatsoever. But it needs to be flexible enough, folks, that when God shows up with something different in mind, we're willing to follow God, not the program. Now, I've been in churches, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stretching this, okay? Some of you have probably seen this before. But I've been in churches before where, where a person will lean over to the next person, you know, and they'll hold that bulletin up to them and say, why is this music leader doing that song? It's not in this bulletin. 
Okay? I've seen that. I've witnessed that myself. God forbid, folks. <laughs> did, mm, did you hear the way they did nothing but the blood this morning? We, we've never done nothing but the blood that way before. Folks, there's a problem when that's the attitude among God's people. Don't they know there are more stanzas to that song than the first, second, and last verse? Aren't Baptists good about knowing there's more stanzas than the first, second, and the last? Yet every song leader just about the first, the second, and the last. Listen, folks, bulletins are fine. Programs are fine. But when God shows up, by all means, let him in. I mean, after all, this is what it's all about. Let him in. Now, here's the thought. The first mention of the word worship in the Bible was in Genesis 22 in verse 5. If you remember that story, that's when Abraham took his, young, the, 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 his men and he took his young son you know, up to the mountain. And the Bible says there, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. That's the first time the word worship is used within the Bible, Genesis 22, 5. Now, Abraham, you know the story, he goes up to the mountain, he builds an altar, he lays his son on the altar, he takes a knife, and he's just about to sacrifice his promised son when God shows up. When God shows up. Now, what would have happened if Abraham would have said, wait a minute, God, I've got a written program here. You've done showed me, you've done told me, you've done written out what I have to do. You said, go up here, build the altar, lay my son there, and sacrifice him. Just stand aside. I'm going to follow the written program. What would have happened? We wouldn't be where we are today. But Abraham understood when God shows up, we got to follow God. And folks, that's what worship is all about. You see, worship will never happen without God's presence among us. So, what is worship then? What is corporate worship? What are we doing here together today? What is corporate worship? The word worship is mentioned 35 times in the New Testament. Now get this, 35 times the word New Testament, is, I mean the word uh, worship is mentioned in the New Testament, and not once, go look it up, not once does it have anything to do with public gathering. Hmm. 35 times in the New Testament, worship is used. And not a single time is it used uh, in, in a sense of gathering publicly. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with per public worship. We should have public worship, and we should have public worship this morning. You should go out of here this morning and know you've worshipped God. But if the only time we worship is when we come together corporately, something is wrong in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Worship is not something that happens on Sundays at 11 o'clock only. Worship should be a seven-day-a-week thing within our life. And then we come together corporately because we're pumped up, we've been with God all week, and then some things begin to happen as we gather together corporately, and we're going to see some things here in just a few moments. But look, real worship, as we gather together corporately, is a byproduct of what happens to us seven days a week as we experience God. You see, worship is an individual 
in a private matter. Now, though we can and we should worship in our corporate time, as I said, that's not the primary purpose of our gathering together on Sundays, okay? That's not the primary purpose. Worship should end up being a result of what happens here today, and it carries on throughout the week. And let me just add this thought. <laughs> let me just add this thought. During our time of worship together, during our time of corporate worship together, you may wish to stand as you worship. Whether it's during a song or whether it's during a prayer or whether it's during my preaching, I don't really care. But you should be able to stand if that is the way that you worship and you should not look down your nose at the people who choose to worship sitting down. And vice versa, those who choose to worship sitting down should not look up at their nose, uh, uh, look up their nose at those who choose to worship standing up. Because again, worship is a personal thing; it's a private thing between you and God, and we need to understand that. Now, let's jump into this. Four things that should happen during our corporate time together. Now, for those of you who are really spiritual, and you said you ain't even opened the Bible yet, go ahead and open the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. Can't preach without opening the Bible, can we? That's just the introduction. Now we're going to get into the Word. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verses 24 and 25. Four things that I believe should happen during our corporate time together. You see, the Bible says this in Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Folks, here's an outline of what should happen during our corporate time together. Here's an outline of what should happen at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings as we come together corporately. You see, in these two verses, I believe there's four things that should happen. First of all, we're to assemble together in order to encourage one another. We're, we need to encourage one another. What's he say? Let us consider one another. Many people who walk through those doors, and I would suggest this morning, there are some who walk through those doors, you know, who need someone to exhort them, encourage them, and lift them up. We just assume when people show up to church, everything's been fine in their life all week. That is not always the case. In fact, probably for most, that's not the case. So when we assemble together, he says, let us consider one another. Let us consider one another. In other words, you know, if there's a need to exhort someone, if there's a need to encourage someone, if there's a need to lift up someone, that's what we're here for. You see, for most people, they've been beaten down all throughout the week, either on their job, at school, or even within the home. They've just been beaten down, and they, they just drag themselves to church Sunday morning. They put on a good smile on their face, but their heart is broken. So he says, when you assemble together, you know, let us consider one another, encourage one another. You know, there's people probably here this morning who need encouragement within their life. And we need to give them some assurance that all things will work together for the good of those who love the Lord and those who are called according to purpose. Now, in that post I mentioned a while ago, 
at the beginning of this service. There was one particular comment or one particular response that really, you know, stood out to me. A girl, she had posted in this, and her, she responded, and she said this, quote, I used to go to church all the time. I was young, and I got pregnant in high school, and the entire church judged me and belittled me. She said, aside from just a very small handful of people. Now stop and think about that. This girl got pregnant in high school, and everyone in that church, rather, well, other than the small handful, she said, judged her and belittled her when what she needed when she come through that door. Had she made a mistake? Yes, premarital sex is wrong. But should that keep us from encouraging, lifting up, and ministering to her so maybe she don't make the same mistake twice? And then she ended with this. I never went back. Now, folks, that is sad to me. How sad that a church would turn their back on such a one. And I know of another church right here in Lufkin, a Baptist church, who I know a number of the people who go to that church. A lady got a divorce in that church. Okay? She got a divorce. She was hurting she needed someone to come alongside her, to lift her up, to, to, to help encourage her. And what happened was, the pastor announced from the pulpit, and I know this pastor, okay? He announced from the pulpit that she had gotten a divorce, and here's what he said, and the people of the church was not to have anything to do with her until she, she repented, Okay? went through some classes, and then they could reach out to her. Now, is that what corporate worship is all about? And it wasn't even her fault, the divorce wasn't. Listen, there's people who walk through those doors at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning who is looking for someone to encourage them, to lift them up to be there for them, even though they may have made a mistake. As they was about to stone a prostitute one day, and all those religious people had stones in their hand. You remember the story. They was all ready to stone her because of the mistake she had made. And Jesus shows up. Isn't it a matter amazing how when Jesus shows up, situation is in change? He sat there on the ground, squatted down, and began to write. And then he looked up at him and he said, You without sin, cast the first stone. He gave him permission to rock her to death, to stone her to death. But only the one, the only one who could start the stoning was the one who had no sin. Chances are, the people who belittled this girl who got pregnant in high school, I'm not a betting man, I'm not a gambling man, but I would be willing to bet they had some sin in their life. 
for the pastor who announced to the congregation from the pulpit that this lady had been in a divorce and they was not to have anything to do with her till she repented and, you know, went through some classes. I would be willing to say that preacher had some sin in his life. Folks, when we gather together corporately, we're here to encourage one another, to exhort one another, and lift one another up, even if they've made a mistake. Because chances are we've made a mistake. The second thing, we're to assemble together to stir up love that God has within us. Look what he says there in verse 24b. In, in, in order to stir up love. Look, if you spent time with God that you should have spent with him all week, when you show up here on Sundays, you should be bubbling over with love and joy and excitement and, and want to squeeze that out on somebody who may not have had all of that. The third thing we see, we're to assemble together to inspire each other to do good works. We see that in verse 24c there. Stir up love and good works. You see, along with loving encouragement comes to the desire to encourage others to exercise their spiritual gift, to encourage others, man, let's get involved in ministry. Let's do something. There's things within the church that, that is left undone. Hey, the church needs Sunday school teachers. The church needs uh, workers around the church. The church needs you know nursery workers. The church needs children church workers, Brenda, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, a bunch, you know. And when we gather together, you know, we, we, we're bubbling over because we've worshipped God all week and, and we should encourage one another. Man, look at everything that needs to be done around the church. Let's don't let God's church go undone. Stir up one another to good works, he says. You know, the reason being is because, you know, uh, you know a lot of people don't do that is because they've neglected their spiritual gift and they haven't worshipped God all week. The next thing is this. We're to assemble together to urge one another to be prepared for the coming of Christ. He says that in verse 25b, exhorting one another, and so much more so as you see that day approaching. What's that day he's talking about? The rapture of the church, folks. We can encourage one another. Look, I know this world has done gone crazy. I know this United States has done gone crazy. I know the state of Texas has done gone crazy. In fact, even Angelina County has gone crazy. But one day, Jesus Christ is coming back. One day, we're going to hear that trumpet sound. One day, we're leaving this old sinful earth. Man, we can encourage one another with that. We can encourage one another. Speaking of the coming of the Lord should be the topic, topic that excites and encourages us to be more active and, and stronger in our desire to share the gospel around the, uh, those who we're around. These four things are some things that should happen when we come together every Sunday for corporate worship. And as a result of our time you know, with, that we spend together, we should have a desire to worship God privately the rest of the week. Now, the next thing we see here. Turn to Acts chapter 2. So in Hebrews, we just saw four things there that corporate worship is all about, that we come here to do. Now as we look at Acts chapter 2, and uh, you know, we can see 10 more things. So that's 14 things altogether that corporate worship should lead us to do. Now here in this passage, we see why excuse me, why we're commanded to come together and not forsake assembling of ourselves together. And we see 10 more things that should happen in addition to the four we just mentioned. Now, here in Acts chapter 2, 
we see the first corporate meeting of the church. This is the first corporate meeting of the church. Now, you could say, well, Jesus had corporate meetings with his disciples, and, you know, I guess that would be true, but the church had not actually been established at that point. But what we see here is the first corporate meeting of the church in Scripture. And here's what it says, Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, now that's the Word of God, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now he's listing all the things that they came together corporately for on this first worship service together. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily uh, with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, in these six verses, there's ten things that happened when the people came together for the first worship service corporately. The first thing is, folks, they focused on the Word of God. You see that there in verse 42a. They focused on the Word of God. They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Look, it's amazing today how, how when people gather together, they feel ta uh, comfortable talking about, um, you know, football and their grandkids and politics. But when it comes to the Word of God, many want to kind of shut it off right there. Many kind of want to shut it off right there. Look, even within our pulpits, you know, some pastors will avoid talking about a particular part of the Word of God you know, if they feel that some people will think they have crossed a political line. Pastor, if you preach against abortion, you have crossed a political line. You have now brought politics within the church. Pastor, if you talk about same-sex marriage, you, have, you're, you are bringing politics within the church. You have crossed that political line. And besides all that, I don't want my children hearing that stuff. Can I tell you something? Your children are hearing this stuff. And it's better for them to hear it from a godly perspective than what they're hearing it from. Yes, the Word of God, listen to me, will cross political lines if it's being proclaimed from the pulpit. Or what some view as political lines, should I say. And God forbid, oh my gosh, God forbid if you name a particular politician or a political party whose platform is anti-God, anti-Word of God, and doesn't even want the name of God mentioned within their pulpit. Yes, I'm talking about the Democratic Party. And I'll name names. Look, let me suggest to you that the problems we're seeing in our nation today are a direct result of a lack of the Word of God being preached as it's written in the Bible, and that has translated into people not even knowing what the Word of God says about certain issues. Our churches are full of people who have no idea what God is saying in His Word about certain issues that they view as political. And when we come together, folks, 
We must focus on the Word of God. That must be our focus. That's what they did. The second thing is they had fellowship in the breaking of bread. Now, I know some of you like that. And yes, they had fried chicken, Brother Danny, at these fellowships, I am sure. Look at here. When the term breaking of bread is used, it is used in reference to three things. First of all, the believer sharing a meal together with other believers. It, 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 it included that. The partaking of the Lord's Supper together, which we'll be doing in two Sundays. And also the preaching and teaching of Christ as the bread of life. All three of these things dealt with the breaking of bread together. Now the next thing is they prayed with one another. Don't miss this. They prayed with one another. We see in verse 42c there. This was more than just having a prayer list in the bulletin or just telling someone, I'll pray for you. Look, if someone needed prayer, what they did is then and there they gathered around that person and they prayed for that person. When was the last time you saw in any church, in any church, three or four people gather around someone who needed special prayer and lifted them up before the Lord? That's what they did in the early church when they gathered together corporately. If there was someone hurting, if there was someone in need of prayer, if there was someone that needed encouraging, if there was someone that needed to lift up, man, people gathered around them and they prayed for them. Right then and right there. Listen to me. Let me suggest this. If someone asks you to pray for them, don't tell them I'm going to put you on my prayer list. Don't tell them I'll call pastor and tell him to put you in the bulletin. Pray for them. Right then, right there, lift them before God. The next thing is they witnessed the moving of the Holy Spirit and, and then went out and shared their experience. We see that there, you know, in verse 44 and verse 40, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 43a. Then fear came over every soul and many wonders and signs were done, you know, through the apostles. Let me tell you, they began to share the word of God with each other. And then not only with each other, they went out in the community, you know, sharing what God was doing in the midst of his people. When was the last time you left church and you just, you were so, you know, pumped up, so to speak, that you just had to share your experience with someone else? The next thing is they found out the needs of others and they met those needs. Now, in verses uh, uh, 44 and four, verse 45, you know, this is not church doctrine where everybody's got to sell their stuff and give it to the preacher and he'll kind of decide who needs what. No, 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 no. That would be nice though, wouldn't it? But that's not what he's talking about. Listen, what he's talking about here, now all who believed were together, verse 44, and had all things in common and they sold their possessions of good and divided them among all as anyone had need. In other words, if someone had a need and you had the ability or the, the financial ability or whatever, maybe if they needed physical stuff done around their house or whatever, you met that need as a result of being together corporately. Look, when we have this kind of fellowship together, we learn the needs of those around us. The next thing is this. They were persistent. They were persistent in being in agreement with one another. Verse 46, so continuing daily in one accord in the temple. You look, they couldn't get enough of being together. 
That's what that's suggesting. They couldn't get enough of being in church together. They couldn't get enough of being in fellowship with one another. They couldn't, uh, you know, uh, get enough of that. In fact, if the preacher told them, hey, folks, it's time to go home. You can't be up here every day, only on Sundays and Wednesdays. They'd get mad at the preacher. Boy, if I was to say that, how many would get mad at me if I could tell you, you can only come on Sundays and Wednesdays? Some would hug my neck. <laughs> Gives you a reason not to come, huh? Look, the next thing is this. They were inspired to go out in the community and break bread from house to house with gladness and with a good attitude. Verse 46b, in breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You see, as they went from house to house, it wasn't just physical food they broke uh, with those in the community. I believe they broke the bread of life and talked about Jesus. The next thing is this. They were motivated to praise God in the community. Look, those within their community knew without a doubt that something was happening down at the church house. You know, something more than just them coming together, singing songs look, uh, that was listed in the bulletin, you know, listening to the preachers preach some uh, old message, dismissing in prayer, and going home. Something was happening down at the church house, folks, and the community wanted whatever they had. That's not happening within our communities today with any church. In fact, what we've seen from that poll, I guess you might want to call it, I mentioned uh, earlier, is 290 people didn't want to have nothing to do with the church. How sad. How sad. Where are we at here? They were encouraged to gain favor within the community. Okay, verse 47b. You know, because those within the community wanted what they had, it caused them, the church and God, to gain favor in the eyes of the people. And finally, evangelization took place. Let me tell you, they were able to evangelize the lost. How do we know that? Because look at 47c. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were saved. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Okay? The result of these ten things, you know, that, uh, you know, people were added to the church daily, not just one or two a year. You know, when churches give their annual report, you know, it's sad, but so many churches, they may have had one or two baptisms or maybe... Boy, they had really had a good year and had four or five baptisms. Could it be because we're not following the example of the early church that met together corporately? Could it be that we're missing these four things that we saw in Hebrews and we're missing these ten things that we see in the book of Acts as a corporate body? Could it be that there's room for improvement within our churches when it comes to corporate worship? Could it be that there's room for improvement in my life when it comes to not only corporate worship, but my daily time spent with God? Could it be? Could it be that there's room for improvement in your life when it comes to your worship with God? All of this because they had a true concept about what corporate worship was all about. They allowed God to show up, and when he showed up, they threw the bulletin aside, and they followed God. They followed God. What Debbie was talking about earlier when she 
you know, open the service, you know, uh, you know, if the Lord, you know, moves upon you to come down to this altar, it doesn't matter if we're singing a song, it don't matter if I'm preaching, it don't matter, you know, uh, what, you come to the altar and pray, that's throwing the bulletin aside and following God, that's what it's all about, folks, now, I'm not talking about hoopla to where you get all enthused up and you take off running around, you know, in here, of course, a lot of women don't wear skirts no more to church. It's all dress pants and stuff now. So, you know, I guess you could jump some pews with your, with your pants on, but I'm joking there. Surely not a dress, but no. You know, the Holy Spirit will never allow us to get out of control. We'll always be under the control of the Spirit. But the point is, if God is moving you, allow him to show up. Allow him to move you. Now, I realize that all these things may not happen every time we meet as a church. But we must do our part in seeing that we strive for that goal. Now, understand this one thing about worship. We should not equate quietness. In other words, if the church body is quiet, no one saying amen, no one lifting their hand, no one shouting or whatever. We shouldn't equate quietness and a lack of enthusiasm with deadness. In other words, you can't go in there and say, well, that's a dead church. Nobody even said amen. On the other hand, we should not equate loudness and extreme enthusiasm with being alive. There's two extremes there, folks. We got to be in that happy medium. I believe that many churches are getting away from the original purpose of gathering together publicly as outlined in these two passages we looked at, Hebrews 10 and Acts 2. God uses these things mentioned in these verses to bring us into a position of worship and praise to our Lord. There can be no greater honor, you know, that we can bestow on our Lord than being so passionate about His Word that we're consumed with it. Let me close with these thoughts. Whatever you do to bring honor to God is worship. Whatever you do that shows reverence to God is worship. Whatever you do uh, that expresses respect and devotion to God is worship. It can be done privately, and it can be done corporately. It can be done intelligently. It can be done emotionally. It can be done quietly. It can be done loudly. It can be done in giving and singing and testifying and sharing the Word of God. Worship can be an expression uh, that God show, uh, that shows that God and how much he means to us and his worth to us. And I believe that the many misconceptions that some have placed on co uh, corporate worship have become an enemy to the church. And that's why many people could care less about coming. But if we get our worship back to the way it's described in these two passages, Challenge you to study them throughout the week. I believe we would see God show up more often. I believe we would see seats full. And I believe we would see our lives changed. But you know what? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's not even an opportunity for you to worship. You can't worship God because you don't know God. And the only way to know God is through His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He did on the cross of Calvary. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Him as your personal Savior. 
We're going to have a song of invitation here in just a moment. That's the portion of the service to where we make decisions as the Holy Spirit's moving upon our heart, whether it's the decision to be saved, whether it's the decision to rededicate our life to God, whether it's the decision to unite with our church in the way that we accept members, whatever the decision you need to make, we're going to give you that opportunity as we have a song of invitation. But first, let's pray. Let's go to God in prayer.